Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We were mentioning last time that a very strong Greek influx of ideas affected the early faith of the Christian Church. From the second century onwards, many of the church leaders, known today as the Church Fathers, had a background prior to their conversion in Greek philosophy. And the all-important question is, did they rid themselves of some of that philosophical speculative mindset when they embraced the very Hebrew faith known as the Christian faith of the New Testament? How much has your understanding of the Bible been affected by the heritage from Greek philosophy as distinct from the pure heritage of the Hebrew Bible? I mean by that the Old Testament the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament Greek Scriptures, which, although they're written in the Greek language, show a very close affinity to the Hebrew thought world of the Old Testament. One distinguished scholar puts before us this problem of the tension between Greek and Hebrew thinking. He says this, Across the pages of the Old and New Testaments, the clear waters of revealed truth flow like a majestic river. It is God who only has immortality offering to men and communicating to the believer his divine imperishable life. But paralleling this stream flows the muddy river of pagan philosophy, which is that of human soul or divine essence, eternal, pre-existing the body and surviving it. After the death of the apostles, says this scholar, the two streams merged to make unity of the troubled waters. Little by little, the speculation of human philosophy mixed with divine teaching. Now, the task of evangelical theology, says this scholar, is to disengage the two incompatible elements, to dissociate them, to eliminate the pagan element which has installed itself as a usurper in the center of traditional theology and to restore in value the biblical element which only is true and which alone conforms to the nature of God and of man, his creature. That quotation was from Alfred Vaucher in his book Le Problème de l'Immortalité, 1957. That's a most striking statement. This scholar speaks of the alien element of pagan philosophy which has installed itself as a usurper in the center of traditional theology. Our purpose in these broadcasts, or one of the many purposes, is to alert the public to that installment of pagan Greek philosophy in the center of traditional theology. How much has your understanding of the faith been affected by that usurping influence of Greek Hellenizing philosophy. What, for example, about these quotations from standard Bible dictionaries and other authorities about what the Bible has to say on sensitive issues about the nature of man and death? I quote from the celebrated interpreter's dictionary of the Bible, no biblical text authorizes the statement that the soul is separated from the body at the moment of death. You'll find that very clear statement in Volume 1 
of the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, Volume 1, page 803, a document incidentally available in most public libraries. No biblical text, says that dictionary, authorizes the statement that the soul is separated from the body at the moment of death. And yet countless thousands upon thousands of sermons on the occasion of funerals pronounce that very thing which this dictionary says is not a biblical idea. We frequently hear that the soul of the departed has gone to be with God in heaven. And yet the Bible does not authorize that statement. Where did it come from? From the world of Greek philosophy. It was Plato who believed that souls could be separated from their bodies and subsist as conscious entities after the body had died. It was not the Bible that authorized that idea. And that interpreter's dictionary issues a challenge then to preachers of funeral services that they conform their language to the biblical model and not to that of Greek philosophy. A well-known British theologian and Bible scholar, John A.T. Robinson, says, and I quote, It's an almost universally cherished belief that the immortality of the soul is a tenet of the Christian faith, despite the fact that it rests on assumptions which are fundamentally at variance with the biblical doctrine of man. That was from John A.T. Robinson's book, In the End God, page 91. The same scholar says this about our traditional cherished ideas about what happens when we die. He says, Heaven, in fact, is nowhere used in the Bible as the destination of the dying. But isn't heaven the term used by millions of churchgoers as the place they hope to go to at death? Well, it is, but it wasn't always the case in the Christian church. The scholar J.T. Robinson is, is right to say, and you can check this for yourself, that heaven is nowhere used in the Bible as the destination of the dying. That's a popular idea which we've simply taken in from tradition. We've accepted it uncritically. But in 150 A.D., for example, a Christian spokesman said this, If you meet some who say that when they die their souls go to heaven, do not believe them to be Christians. That was from Justin Martyr in his Dialogue with Trifo, chapter 80. You see, at that time, Christian spokesmen were opposing the alien idea coming into the church that the prospect of the dying was to disappear immediately as a soul disembodied. And yet today, the disappearance of the soul to heaven is the commonly held idea of millions of believers. But what really is the origin of that idea? May I give you an answer from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, published by Erdmans, Volume 2, page 812. I read this. We are influenced always, more or less, by the Greek Platonic idea that the soul is immortal. Such an idea is utterly contrary to the Israelite consciousness and is nowhere found in the Old Testament. The whole man dies when in death the spirit goes out of the man. Not only his body, but also his soul returns to a state of death. Therefore, the Old Testament can speak of the death of one's soul. Death is a place of darkness, cut off from the land of the living. Death is also a place where God is no longer praised or thanked. Psalm 6, verse 5, and Psalm 115, verse 17. Death, this article goes on to say, 
is where the dead are unconscious, do no more work, take no account of anything, possess no knowledge or wisdom. The dead are asleep. And the article concludes with a number of verses to prove its point. Job 26, verse 5, Proverbs 2, verse 18, Proverbs 9, verse 18, and 21, verse 6, and Psalm 88, verse 11, and Isaiah 14, verse 9. All those texts are given to support the argument that in death, according to the Hebrew Bible, there is no consciousness and certainly no experience of a disembodied state in heaven. Now, which influence are we going to follow? That of the Bible itself? Or of that element which has installed itself as a usurper at the center of traditional theology? So many scholars complain, and yet they are not heard, they are not listened to. The public goes on its sweet way, believing what it wants to believe, and believing what it's always believed. Here's a quotation from Dr. Paul Althaus, a Lutheran theologian, in a book called The Theology of Martin Luther. He says this, The hope of the early church, that's to say the New Testament church, centered on the resurrection of the last day. By that, of course, the scholar meant the resurrection which introduces the kingdom of God at the last day. It is this hope of the future resurrection which first calls the dead into eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15 and Philippians 3.21 This resurrection, says this scholar, happens to the man and not only to the body. Paul speaks of the resurrection not of the body, as distinct from the soul, but of the dead. This understanding of the resurrection implicitly understands death as also affecting the whole man. Thus, he says, the original biblical concepts have been replaced by ideas from Hellenistic, Gnostic dualism. The New Testament idea of the resurrection which affects the whole man has had to give way to the immortality of the soul. The last day also then loses its significance. For souls have received at the moment of death all that is decisively important long before the last day. Eschatological tension and I interpret there by telling you that eschatological tension simply means tension directed towards the future, towards the second coming. Eschatological tension is no longer strongly directed to the day of Jesus' coming. And uh, Dr. Paul Altas concludes his quotation like this, the difference between this and the hope of the New Testament is very great. Can you imagine that? A huge difference between the philosophical hope of survival as a disembodied soul going to heaven at death, which we have accepted as biblical, and the actual biblical hope of the resurrection of the whole man in the future, collectively at the return of Jesus to establish his kingdom. Now, we invite you to examine these issues for yourself and to come to conclusions about where the truth lies in this critically important matter of the nature of man and what happens when we die. We'd like to offer you, free for your own study at home, a booklet entitled, What Happens When We Die? A Biblical View of Death and Resurrection. This goes into the subject of death and what happens when we die in some detail, gives some history of the development of ideas from the New Testament time onwards, 
and gives you many texts in the Scriptures to examine. We'd like to send this to you free of cost if you'll telephone us the number to be given at the end of this program. In addition, if you'd like to have a copy of the tape you're now listening to, please request this from the same telephone number. I've written a book on the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of the Messiah, a solution to the riddle of the New Testament. We have that for your personal study at home also. Simply request it from us by using the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. If you prefer, you can write to us at the address of Atlanta Bible College. This will also be given at the conclusion of this program. Our purpose in these broadcasts is to alert you to the changes which overcame the faith in post-biblical times. Tradition, uncritically accepted, leads us into a great deal of confusion. We must be Bereans, as in Acts 17, verse 11. Those good people studied the Scriptures daily, examined the Scriptures daily, to see if what they were hearing was true. And Luke reports that many of them became true believers when they took upon themselves the burden, a joyful burden, I should say, of studying and examining the text of Scripture verse by verse and line by line to see if what they were hearing was true. The issue of the kingdom of God, of the nature of man, what happens when we die, all of these are major biblical topics. There's a mass of scripture to be examined on all of these issues, starting with the book of Genesis. It becomes a joy, however, for those who are searching for truth, the truth which leads to salvation, to the life of the coming age, in the future kingdom of God to be established on earth by Jesus when he returns in power and glory. That return of Jesus forms the heart of his gospel of the kingdom. Join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel of the kingdom of God.